right, so Proverbs 1, 8 to 19, God's word says this, hear my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole. Like those who go down to the pit, we shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. For their feet run to evil. They make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, the text this morning springs us now into the topic of conversation for, day, for today and the focus of the sermon for today, which is the role of friendship in the life of the Christian. We, we were created as relational beings, according to Scripture, made in the image of our eternal triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, who have, we know this from Scripture, they have eternally existed in this, in perfect unity and relationship with one another. And as image bearers of our God, it is understandable that we bear the mark of relational desires in our own lives and the deep desire to have a friend to walk through life alongside. A friend is obviously the opposite of the enticement of sinful men that we see described in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 to 19, which brings us now to our main idea, kind of our, our springboard for this morning. The main idea is this, the company you keep matters, right? The people that you surround yourself with they matter. The company you keep will have a massive impact on your life, the way you lead your life, and, and your own growth and personal holiness. If we are to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, we must relate to one another and maintain Christian friendship with one another. And in, in this light, the company you keep, again, matters. Proverbs 1.15, my son, do not walk in the way with them. Speaking of being enticed into sinful relationships, hold back your foot from their paths. Uh, in light of the recent and ongoing revival that many of us have heard about at Asbury University, have you guys heard about this movement? Uh, Asbury's in, in Wilmore, Kentucky, uh, historically, I believe, Methodist organization. They started a chapel service on Wednesday afternoon this past week, and it hasn't stopped yet. Uh, there's a revival going on on campus there. Pretty amazing to see the Lord working in that way. And so in light of hearing this news of this revival happening just east of us, I want us to look at a great spiritual revival that had a distinct mark on Western culture, Western society in the mid-1700s. It was known as the Great Awakening. Have you guys heard of the Great Awakening? Okay, the Great Awakening that occurred in the 1700s. I bring up this Great Awakening because of a famous friendship uh, that was forged during this time, a connection between uh, the, these people, the Wesley brothers, so John and Charles Wesley, and, and uh, they were the founders of the Methodist movement, actually, and a man named George Whitfield, a gifted itinerant preacher who God used to win many souls to Christ. These guys were really central to this great awakening movement that occurred. If you know history, if you know the relationship between the Wesley brothers uh, and George Whitfield, you would know that this friendship was not a simple one. 
It was marked with many difficult conversations and tension, a friendship marked with with a great love and respect for one another, and also times of great distance because of differences that they held. It's not a neatly packaged friendship when we think of it, but a messy friendship that I believe is is a fitting example of what true friendship can look like, true Christian friendship. And it isn't just like God to bring together two parties who complement one another in spiritual gifting, Whitfield, the gifted order of the gospel, the Wesley brothers gifted in fostering church organization and growth and personal holiness, right? Their, their gift to the church was discipleship and a process of discipleship. Whitfield excelled at evangelism and conversion, the Wesleys, the long-term care of souls, They became sharply divided at one point in their friendship over a doctrinal issue of secondary importance, and they departed for a season from one another, only to be eventually reconciled and realize that their complementary gifts were too great a benefit to the kingdom to allow division to continue on, right? But their friendship, it wasn't, to summarize, it wasn't all like roses and sunshine. There was some ups and downs. It was a messy, messy friendship. But it ended in this way. This is beautiful. Eventually, when George Whitfield died, entering eternal glory, he had requested none other than John Wesley to preach his funeral sermon, right? Christian friendship, reconciliation. It reminds me of Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity for such a time, right? So it comes to this question, like, who's got your back when things get tough or shaky, when life gets difficult, who's got your back? That's a friend. Uh, I love Dietrich Bonhoeffer and the writings of Bonhoeffer. Uh, he was martyred uh, during uh, Nazi Germany time. He actually was involved in a plot to kill Hitler. Uh, he was a pastor and a famous theologian, and he was uh, martyred just a few weeks before Allied forces took control and basically won the war. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this in his classic work, Life Together, talking about the the community of believers. He says this, it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren, right? Community, friendship, relationships, Christian friendships are a precious gift from the Lord. They are a means of grace that he gives us to grow in holiness. And in a time, so getting now to modern times, the time we live in, in a time when isolation is so common among us, we must press back into true biblically inspired friendship. The kind of friendship that results in, in deep soul satisfying belly laughs, right? Anybody love those kind of laughs where you just can't catch your breath and you kind of get a headache afterwards? Tear-filled advice seeking and giving and friendship that spurs us to go deeper. This is an important part, to go deeper in our walk with the Lord. It brings us to our first point. Christian friendship is sticky. Christian friendship is sticky in a good way. A friend sticks by your side, don't they? That's a sticky friend. It's a crucial concept of Christian friendship in a time where we throw friend around so loosely. I think it's lost its meaning Friends should be close to us, right? They should stick by our side. If I hold to our favorite social media platform's definition of a quote-unquote friend, as of this morning, I have 1,140 friends. Beat that. And yet, I can, I can think of a number of times I have seen these supposed friends at the store or around town and haven't said a word to them in person. Now more than ever, right, we need sticky friends. We need people that are close to us. 
We've been encouraged over the past three years to, what, remain distant for your health and safety. Subconsciously, we've been driven from deeper relationships in exchange for superficial digital relationships that only highlight the good parts of life, right? The family picture where everybody's perfect and the smile's going on, but if, if your family pictures are anything like my family pictures, right before that, there was screaming, there was weeping and gnashing of teeth just to get the smile just right. Right? Those digital relationships, they, they never reveal the day-to-day difficulties. Very rarely do you see someone just a mess posting a picture of their life and saying, I'm a mess today. We are more, quote-unquote, connected to information and communication than at any other point in human history, but yet we're still so distant, aren't we? And this feeling was, was pervasive even before the pandemic of the past few years. But in answer to that, Christian friendship is indeed sticky. It's closely connected and long-lasting. Proverbs 18, 24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, right? As I read that, thinking about my 1,140 friends, if those were my only friends, I'd be in trouble, right? Because I'm not closely connected to all of those 1,100 people, nor can I be. It's impossible. Reading on, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's a real friend. Who's with you, right? Who's got your back? Who's by your side? And what are you going to do to to foster close relationships with other Christians? We have to fight against the, the draw and the temptation to do this, to withdraw. Okay, my couch at home, it's the most comfortable couch that you'll ever sit on in your entire life. Every Sunday afternoon after I preach, I sit down on the couch and I snore very loudly in isolation, right? Withdrawn. It would be very easy for me because this couch is so comfortable and the shows on TV are so good for me to withdraw and just be isolated every single day. But I have to fight against that. Who's with you? We have to fight against the draw and temptation to withdraw. There's so many distractions in our day-to-day lives and in person-to-person relationships, right? The draw of binge-watching another show and living vicariously through its characters. The draw of the social media mirage. And also, just culturally, we've changed. People don't stay in one place anymore. We, we move around for jobs. We go to different places. We can fly and move more quickly than ever. These are all challenges to deep, meaningful and sticky or, or lasting friendships. I draw this term sticky from a pastor that I looked up to, and he was in Southern California, Larry Osborne. He wrote uh, two books. One was called Sticky Church. The other one called Sticky Teams, teaching how we build relationships, churches, and staff teams that stick together for a long time. And the most basic component of stickiness in a relationship is, is this. It's a decisive commitment to one another. We, we think of, when, when we think of commitment, we think of a real specific biblical example. It's the example of, of the friendship, probably the most famous friendship in all of the Bible is the friendship of who? Jonathan and David, right? The Bible says that they were so close to each other. In 1 Samuel 18, I believe, it says that their souls were knit together. It's such beautiful language. And right after it says they covenanted or committed to friendship with one another, Jonathan proved his friendship when Jonathan's own, own father was trying to kill David and Jonathan warned and helped David. 
Another beautiful example of friendship and deep connection is that of of Ruth and Naomi. Naomi cared so deeply for Ruth, her daughter-in-law, that she tried to send her back to her homeland because she felt like that was the best chance that she had at living a good life, as that would have been best for her. But Ruth was, was a sticky friend. Ruth chapter one says this, but Ruth clung to her, right? She was literally sticky. She grabbed onto her, reading a little bit further. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you for where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. I love this. Your people shall be my people. This is awesome right here. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts, from, parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. That's a sticky friendship, isn't it? A sticky friendship, a friend is, is one who is determined to be with you through thick and thin, even when it comes at great cost to them. They stand by your side. And I want you to notice the, the, the commonality of their connection or stickiness to who? God, right? Verse 16, Ruth says, your people shall be my people and your God, my God. We can draw this simple teaching from this Christian. I want you to hear this. Your closest friends must be fellow believers. They must be Christians. This doesn't mean we don't have relationships with people that are in unbelief. Uh, Jesus had relationships with the tax collectors and the sinners. That's why it made the religious leader so angry. He was accused of being a friend of sinners. However, these, these sinners, these tax collectors, were transformed by being around Jesus, not the other way around. And so our closest friends must be, I'm not going to say should be, must be, fellow believers in Jesus. Point number two, Christian friendship is sincere. Christian friendship is sincere. A distinctive mark of Christian friendship must be this, sincerity or honesty. We use the word real, right? We want to be real with each other. God's design for friendship is that we model the eternal connection and clarity or sincerity of the Godhead's eternal plan of salvation. Each member of, of the Trinity had a clear understanding of the expectations, implications, and application of God's great redemptive plan. There is clarity and sincerity within the Godhead, and if we are to be the image bearers that God has created us, we must also exhibit these qualities within our friendships and relationships. Proverbs 27 says this, Better is open rebuke than hidden love, right? Sincerity, honesty, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Verse 17, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Sincerity and honesty are incredibly difficult, especially when it comes to those we care about the most, but it cannot be avoided, right? It's hard to have tough conversations with people that you love and to correct and, and use the word, the biblical word. It's got too much baggage attached to it, but it's a great rich word, but rebuke and correct. We have to be sincere and honest with one another in all things. 
in our rebuke or, or correction of each other. And this, okay, it's not just all about correction. You ever had a friend that they, they were great at correction, but they were terrible at encouragement. It's both of those things that we're sincere in. We're, we're sincere in correction and honest uh, critique of each other's lives, but also in, in the beauty of encouraging one another and stirring one another up. And correction hurts, doesn't it? Like, I never like to be told what I do wrong or what I'm bad at. I'm terrible. Like, when my, when my parents would correct me when I was a child, I would throw an absolute fit. But it's for our good. It's an incredible tool that the Lord uses to grow us. That's what Christian friendship should be based off of, is that we care enough about each other that we want to see one another grow in holiness, in Christ-likeness. Practically now. Okay, it's all well and good to say we need correction. How do we do that, right? How do we correct one another? We must use wisdom in how we approach a friend with correction or advice. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, the proverb says. But this isn't a wound caused by poor delivery. I don't think that's what Solomon's getting at there. It's a wound because it's truthful and honest, and it cuts to the heart of the matter. It's, it's the, the wound comes from the content of the correction, not the delivery in correction, we, in our sinfulness, we can forfeit self-control in, in delivery, but we should always approach each other in, in these ways. And if you have room in your notes, write this down. We approach one another in truth, okay, in love, in kindness, in gentleness. In truth, love, kindness, and gentleness, the proverb, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another, gives us a picture of, of metal being refined through what? Through friction, right? The, the rubbing of the two substances together. But remember, it's, it's friction. It takes a long time to sharpen. It's friction over the long haul, repeated over and over, refined over and over until the product is complete. Okay, notice here it's not blunt force, is it? Sometimes in our correction, we can be so blunt and forceful with each other. It reminds me, for some reason, I've been on a weird, you guys are going to get freaked out when I say, I've been on a weird like knife kick lately. I've been fascinated with knives. No, I don't use them in any weird ways or anything like that. Just, I see, I like to barbecue and so a good knife that cuts through the meat, you know, and so I've been, Karen makes fun of me, but I've been, I'll watch videos on how to sharpen a knife and you have to have the right angle. And I was, I always thought those, those like, you have those steel poles that the chef will sharpen off of. I always thought those actually sharpened the blade. You know what they actually do? What happens is, is that knife over, when you use it over and over and over again, it gets little micro bends in the blade. So it's not straight. What that steel does, when you run that knife over a certain angle, back and forth over that steel, it straightens out the blade. It takes the bends out and makes it straight again. Isn't that what our friendship should be like? We get all bent out of shape. In the words of one of our faithful members here, we get wonky, right? And we need to be kind of rubbed back over that steel to be straightened out again. I think that's what... This proverb is getting at iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Friends, hear this. Delivery matters. The way we talk to one another, 
it matters. The personality of your friend matters. There's one way I can, I can come to certain people in my life and just be very straightforward and, and blunt with them, and that's the way they receive correction well. Actually, if you go too soft, that might not you know, get through the old thick skull, right? And then there's other people where you kind of got to massage it out a little bit and, and help to get them to understand what you're getting at. Delivery matters. The personality of your friend matters. We're all different. The saying, like, read the room comes to mind, right? Read the room. Understand the context. The context of the correction or, or issue may require this. It may require more forceful words or may require more self-control on your part to withhold correction until such a time as, as correction can be well received. Simply put, in friendships, we cannot be afraid of open, honest constructive correction. Irish poet and playwright Oscar Wilde gave us this funny quote. He says this, a true friend stabs you in the front. You can see it coming. They don't go behind your back, but rather come directly to you in sincere, honest communication. But this sincerity and honesty, we're talking kind of the negative side, the corrective side, doesn't have to be all constructive criticism, right? We can have friendships where it's like, man, that's all you do is tell me what I do wrong. But rather, there should be balance in friendship. You know, are you also this? Are you sincere? Are you honest in encouragement? You encourage one another. A beautifully encouraging friendship from the Bible is that of Paul and Timothy, I read to you this morning from Philippians chapter 2. Uh, I always give the context of this letter because to me, when I, Philippians is just such an encouraging writing of Paul. I think it's one of the jo- most joyful letters that I, I find in the New Testament. And the context of where Paul's at in his life is that he's actually locked up in prison. It's known as a prison epistle, a prison letter. And he's, he's writing to encourage this church in, in Philippi, and he's talking now about his encouraging friend, Timothy. He says this in verses 19 to 24, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by the news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Right? Timothy seems like he's a pretty encouraging guy, isn't he? For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Friends, are you encouraging to one another? Do you point out the good? Do you encourage people where they're at? I'm certain that Paul and Timothy had times of correction and many an honest conversation as they worked through, worked along in mission alongside one another. I mean, we actually have two letters that Paul wrote to instruct and encourage and correct Timothy in his leadership. But Paul's first thought of Timothy when sending him to the church in Philippi was that of what? Great encouragement. I'm sending you this dear friend of mine. Timothy was an encouragement to Paul and was genuinely, sincerely, honestly concerned for the welfare of his friend. Personally, now looking at ourselves, are you an honest and sincere friend? Do you have honest and sincere friends? Are you just surrounded by a bunch of yes men or yes women? We see this play out kind of comically, unfortunately, back, especially back in the day. 
there's a show called American Idol. It was a singing competition. You guys remember American Idol? And early in the season, they'd have the auditions, and there would be great singers, you know, come on there and just blow everybody away, uh, singing beautifully, and then occasionally they would sprinkle in some, some folks that no one had ever told them that they were good, they weren't good singers. And they would come in and sing, and you'd see the, the judges cringe and kind of chuckle a little bit and try to figure out how they're going to tell this person. Uh, when, when Simon was one of the judges on there, he was just kind of straight and direct and to the point, and he would say, you're terrible. He would tell them openly. And, and the reason you know that they got all the way to this point in, in American Idol where they were willing to audition and try out, even though they couldn't hear the right pitch or tune to save their life, was they would weep when they were told that you didn't make it through. You're not going to Hollywood. And they would go out and what would be waiting for them, right? Their friends crying with them because they just couldn't believe that the judges couldn't hear what they heard. They'd never had the nerve to tell their friend, I hate to break it to you, but you can't sing. The Lord hasn't gifted you in that way. Maybe you should try drawing instead or something like that. Lastly, underneath all of this, Our friendships and relational connections in our Christian walk are founded upon this, a faithful friend who saves. That's our third point. We have a faithful friend who saves. Children's ministry answer here, right? Who is this faithful friend? Good. Romans 5, 6 to 11. This is really a remarkable passage of scripture here. Bible says, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, that's important, Christ died for us. Mind-blowing, right? Since therefore we have now been justified, what does justified mean? Declared not guilty. Christian, you st- because of the righteousness of Christ, you stand before God and you're declared not guilty. That's amazing. You're justified by his blood, Paul says. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Why? Because at the cross, Jesus absorbed the full wrath of God. For while we were, now we're not just sinners. It says here, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more. So we see the emphasis now growing out much more now that we are reconciled. Shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received this reconciliation. Our broken relationship because of our sin, our enmity with God has been reconciled through the ministry of Jesus and faith in his ministry. Jesus is this. He is a faithful friend until the end. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it to bring it to completion. He came, Jesus came at God's appointed time and he died for the ungodly. 
He died for those who rejected and despised him so that they, through a powerful movement of the Spirit, would be awakened, revived to new life in him. He's a friend who loves us so much that he willingly took our punishment. I need a friend like that. This is what happened to Jesus. He was beaten, bruised, scorned, and spat upon. He not only is a faithful friend willing to take our punishment and shame, and as it says here in Romans 5, the wrath of God, but he's a faithful, faithful friend who lived for us. Jesus lived perfectly in our place, and he currently lives for us. Why? Because on the third day, the tomb was found empty because Jesus is alive. Where, where I used to live in Southern California, I don't know the ethics behind this, but uh, occasionally there, there would be, there was a lot of graffiti where I lived out there. Okay, graffiti is where people go and they, they use spray paint and they tag stuff on walls. And occasionally you would, you would see one that would say, Jesus lives. And it's true. Do you raise from the dead? He's a faithful friend who lived for us and currently lives for us. Paul will later say in Romans chapter 8 that he is right now, hear this Christian, he is right now interceding on our behalf. We're reconciled to God, not because some random guy died. People die every day. But because Jesus lived perfectly, he fulfilled the law and will of God. We are saved through his life. And we rejoice because he lives, because he lives. The words of Bill Gaither's hymn come first bursting forth, right? Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. All fear is gone because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living. Why? Just because he lives. We have a friend who has done all this for us out of his great love and mercy. And, and we've Witness the tender heart of this friend in seeking after, if we read the Gospels, he seeks after his disciples. After all the disciples turned their backs on him in shame and rejection during his great trial, while they slept when he begged them and urged them to pray on his behalf, Jesus kept going after them. He kept seeking them. He revealed himself in glory to them after his resurrection, giving them eyes to see. A beautiful picture of this is John chapter 21. I love this story in John 21. Just it's, it just is so relatable. The disciples are out fishing. It's after Jesus' resurrection. He came seeking them along the seashore. As they were fishing, they didn't recognize Jesus on the shore, and he, he called to them. At this point in the day, they're out there fishing all day and they hadn't caught anything, nothing. The nets were empty. He instructed them, cast the net on the other side of the boat. Fishermen, I mean, come on, right? Be like, you're, you're hitting this little boulder right here, like move a couple inches over. Maybe that's where the fish are. Cast the net on the other side of the boat. And a day of no fish produced a massive haul. There's a detail in the passage, but their nets didn't, didn't break. It held. They were so full, they couldn't pull them up, and they kind of dragged along towards Jesus, who's on the seashore. 
bringing forth a miraculous haul of fish. And I love this detail. This is what happens. This resurrected king on the shoreline, miraculous fish haul. What do they do? There's a fire crackling on the beach. They pull the fish out, clean them up, put them on the fire, and they sit there and they have a meal with their friend. It's the heart of Christian friendship right there. Sit down and have a meal together, fellowship, encouragement. They ate with their friend. This is you, friends. This is Jesus. He came calling to you. You were working so hard out off the shoreline. You tried everything and nothing worked. You came up empty every time. It didn't make sense. At some point, you should catch a fish off the side of the boat. And yet you heard a voice calling to you, cast over there. You heard a voice calling to you, hear this, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Come to me, all who are thirsty. I'll give you the water of life. This is family. Jesus our faithful friend who saves. And it reminds you, I'm in a hymn mood this morning. Reminds me of a hymn. Alan Jackson did a good version of it quite a few years back. I'm not a big country music fan, but he does a good job on this one. And it goes like this. I'm not going to sing it to you this morning. I'll just read you the lyrics. The hymn says, What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful? Who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness, take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge, take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee, take it to the Lord in prayer. Hear this, in his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. Amen.